everyone, and welcome to our Thursday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. It is the final NFL draft edition of our podcast, and I'm joined as always by Tim Bielik, our NFL draft expert, and Lance Reisland, our film expert. So we've got a loaded podcast as always. I got some bigger picture questions to throw at these guys. We've got some questions from our football insider subscribers, and we're going to try and squeeze in one last Browns only mock draft, kind of see where everyone stands regarding who the Browns should pick and where. All right, so let's get to this. Uh, we've we've gone through positions. If you missed those, go back and check those podcasts out. Uh, we've done D-line. We've done wide receiver. Uh, we're going to kind of get into, like I said, more general topics. So this is something that a lot of us are writing posts on. Um, it's kind of the big question going into this. Tim, how do the Browns win this draft? And I don't necessarily mean like win as far as have the best draft of anybody, because I think that's hard to do if you aren't picking till the third round. But... How do they win this draft just as far as they go? How do they come away feeling like winners? Yeah, I think I've kind of gone back and forth in my mind on a couple different, you know, possibilities. I think the easy one is find a guy who can have the same kind of impact as Martin Emerson did. I mean, I don't think any of us the night Martin Emerson got selected, you know, had any inkling that he would be, you know, the team's number two, number three corner, you know, by the middle of the seat, by the early portion of the season. I don't think anybody expected that. I think Martin Emerson, by some was ranked as a fourth or fifth round pick, seen as kind of a reach at the time, seen as kind of a luxury pick. And by the middle of the season, he turns out to be a key part of the defense and maybe a potential building block in that secondary going forward. I don't know if they necessarily can get another guy like him, but if you could find one or two guys, maybe three um, that have some – can have some kind of impact closer to Martin Emerson. I think that's ideal. If you find one that just forces his way into a starting spot, you know, say they find a receiver who, because because of an injury example, forces their way into a starting position over guys like Marquise Goodwin and David Bell, you know, receiver, maybe that's what happens. Maybe a tight end who is so good too early, he passes up Jordan Akins for number two, you know, or um, – so be it, even an edge rusher who steals a starting spot from Obo Garonquo. I mean, those are just a couple of examples, but history shows you can find really good potential stars in the third and fourth round. Right now, the Browns have two picks in each, so certainly Andrew Berry showed he could find a player as good as Barn Emerson. If, if he can do it again, it's going to be a good weekend for the Browns. Yeah, Lance, same question. How, how do you come away feeling like the Browns were winners in this draft? Well, to me, this is an interesting question because usually they don't have to find their franchise guy. They don't have to find the franchise quarterback, the the, the running back, the receiver, the impact edge guy. Um, so it's going to be hard to measure. I think uh, Tim hit it right on the head. Can a guy come in and push? You know, when I think about guys who have impact, are they guys that can be red zone guys? Are they situational nickel guys who can rush? Uh, can they be a solid backup? Can they be contributors on special teams? Can they push? Uh, you know, we talked about last week, uh, I'll talk about Barry looking for elite traits in those lower levels. Sometimes those elite traits kind of come to the head, especially when you draft those young guys. Those young guys are still growing still. So you get a guy like, um, you know, who's younger, 20, 21 years old, then all of a sudden he's growing up. He's 22, 23. So maybe a guy in a year or so that can push for a spot. I think you're looking for a guy who can have impact. I think Martin Emerson is a fantastic guy in terms of like, what would the what would the bar be? Uh, I think that bar is pretty high. Um, because, like you said, he turned into uh, you know one of the foundations of the defense. I just think a guy who can come in and have some impact at something um, in terms of, like I said, red zone, a red zone guy, uh, a slot guy, a big guy receiver who can catch the ball and you know one step fades, or a, a guy who can situate situational pass rush. You know, there's a the good thing is I think for the Browns is that they don't have to find you know the measuring the guy who's the franchise guy. I think that is so 
helpful in terms of now you can find what you want and whatever their plan is, stick to their plan and go for it and try to find, try to find your guy. So Tim, Lance mentioned something there, traits, and I, I want to bring up something that Andrew Barry talked about last week in his pre-draft press conference. And I want to get your thoughts on it. So he made, uh, he made the comment that he's, he tells the scouts all the time, you know, they're looking at horse horses and geese. It was completely unexpected for him to go this route, but his, the point he was making was, a goose can do a lot of things. It can fly, it can swim, it, it can walk, all of that stuff. A horse can't do all that stuff, but what a horse can do is run, and it can run really well. Whereas a goose, all the things it can do, eh, not really elite at any of them. So the bigger point he was making is when they get into those fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh rounds, they're looking for an elite trait. So speed, strength, something, and it could be anything. They're looking for an elite trait. Do you like that approach in the later rounds? Yeah, I mean, I think the best thing you can do is find a guy who, you know, just has this unbridled athleticism, you know, an incredible athletic guy. And a guy I mentioned before, I'll throw an example out there, is uh, West Virginia's Bryce Ford Wheaton. Tested incredibly well at the Combine. He's got some rawness to his game. But I think if you if based on what Andrew Berry's saying, they want horses, not geese. I think it kind of goes to another football cliche is that you can teach anything to a player, but you cannot teach speed. You cannot teach a guy to be fast. You cannot teach a guy how to move well. So I think that's kind of where he's getting at, where you can bank on – you want to bank on athleticism. You bank that you trust in your coach's ability to try and coach, the, coach that player into becoming a guy who, you know, when you put him out on the field, you know – you just let him turn his athleticism loose, and then you can work on the nuance later. You could work on technical things. You could work on, you know, what you're supposed to see out there. I mean, you can do all – if you're a coach, you could believe you, you believe you could do plenty of those things. It's not always going to work out for one reason or another, but, you know, you cannot teach a guy – you cannot teach 4-3 speed, for example. You cannot teach a 6-7 3-cone time or something like that. You can't teach, you know – 40 plus inch vertical jump. You can't teach those elite traits or elite awareness, elite intelligence. You can't, you can't teach any of those things. So if you have a very tremendous fundamental skill, I think you can really, I think what he's saying is you can build everything else up around that to be at least at a solid enough level where the elite portion of their game really can come out. Lance, what is the, what is the coaching you think? Well, you're talking about guys, so you get guys in high school, guys in college that kind of reach their ceiling, and they're very coachable, and they do things right. So you get a guy who is a um, a linebacker, has pretty good size, he can run, he can fill gaps, he can read, he can do things, but he's not twitchy, he's not sudden, he's not a space guy, or a guy who's off the edge who uh, reads down blocks well, he understands scheme, he's a film guy. Um, the, the, you can, you know, you want guys who might not be that, you know, you look at them in film and they say, oh, they do it wrong but they're so athletic that you can see there's no ceiling. So you're kind of getting, you know, in terms of a horse, you're, you're thinking of a, a person who has that ceiling that hasn't been reached yet. And a lot of times, you know, you get these guys who are, uh, and I think high school to college, but even a, a better visual for people. You know, you get these guys, these small kids who are just really good. They're really good football players, but they're undersized, but they're just so, um, they get the max out of their potential. You don't want a guy who's maxed out his potential you want a guy who's got a lot left and I think you know as a coach when I think of that at the NFL level that's harder to do because these guys are also talented for me it goes back to my you know being a part of high school football for 40 years it's like all right this guy does everything well but he's not gonna be a division one kid he's just a really good player but he no matter how good he is you know a 5'11 220 pound guard is not going to Ohio State it doesn't matter it's the same kind of thing taking it to the next level is where is 
you you want that ceiling way out of reach. And you know, when I think when I think about the guy from West Virginia, again, I'll go back to my guy that I've mentioned now, Zach Koontz. There's a guy who has elite, you know, as Tim, I've stolen a couple of times now, Uber athleticism. It's off the charts. Um, how can that be, you know, harnessed? Who knows? But you can't teach what he does athletically. Now, if you're a coach, sometimes you say, you know what, I'm going to get that guy lined up. So, uh, yeah, I think it's that ceiling. You know, what, you don't want a guy who's reached the ceiling. You talk about, you know, guys making the jump to college from high school to college. Lance, he said the perfect, the one guy just came to my mind, Dewan Jones. You know, I mean, this is a guy ranked in the thousands in recruiting, like 1,000 something when he committed to Ohio State, just a big dude. And, you know, four or five years later, four plus years later, Ohio State did a great job coaching him, you know, getting him to really grow into a good football player. And here he is on, you know, heading in Thursday night, got a shot to be a first round pick. That's quite a development story. Okay, next question I have for you guys. Um, we're going to we're gonna take all the other teams out of the equation here. Uh, you can pick one player, and that player has to go to the Browns. It has to be realistic, though. So you can't say, like, Jackson Smith and Jigba. You can't say, like, it's, it's got to be somebody who's going to be in their range somewhere. Uh, but you can pick one player. They have to go to the Browns. And you can be a little flexible with that range, I guess. But who, who is it, Tim? Who's the one guy, if you could pick anybody, realistically uh, i'm gonna go with you know a receiver we talked about before it might be not quite who you're expecting but i i'm gonna say jonathan mingo you know this is a guy who i think the last couple of days has got first round buzz you know this is a guy who could certainly be going in the 30s the 40s right now and i think it's because you know of those traits we talked about the elite athleticism jonathan mingo has i mean you know the old miss pipeline of receivers aj brown dk metcalf elijah moore i don't know if he'd be as good as any of those guys but certainly has the almost as athletic i think similar testing numbers maybe not quite as good as dk but you know tested extremely well similar build physically to aj brown again i don't think he'll be good as as good as either one of those guys but this is a guy that i think teams will look at and see you know it's he's got plenty he's got some ability right now it's not like he's a completely raw guy but they'll look at that athleticism they'll look at just his versatility again the fact that more than a third of his snaps last year he played in the slide that tells you there's a lot to work with there and again you know a gm trusts his coaches to to develop their players to get the most out of them you want to go for the guy who's got incredible athletic traits yeah, Ned, Mingo's been a guy that has ended up in our mocks uh, at some point during during these pods. Lance, who's the guy, any player within reason well, I'm gonna, that I'm gonna, you could I'm put on I'm going to go away from what I thought because, I, I, you know, I, it's stretching. <laughs> but Keanu Benton's the guy for me. Um, but I think that's, you know, he he's a guy, you know, I've done a lot of research. Obviously, you guys have done as much when in terms of like draft stuff and your backgrounds. For me, he's been a guy who's kind of been all over the, all over the you know, lot in terms of where he could go. Um, you know, he's a guy for me, he's the, he, if the Browns, you know, in terms of like trading up, maybe a little bit, I don't know how that would quite work, but you're talking about a guy, I try to stick to what the Browns really struggle with and what they're really, really poor at right now, stopping the run. I know they've added that Dalvin Thomason. This is a guy for me. He was the best defensive tackle, including the guys up front at, at the point of attack. Doesn't always mean he makes the play. He's not going to make those impact plays as the first rounders, in my opinion, but he's a guy who can handle a double. He can handle a double in terms of the zone and the gap schemes. He anchors in there. He's athletic enough uh, to get a pass rush. He doesn't do a lot with his pass rush, but most of those guys don't at this early age in their in their career. Uh, but he's a guy for me. I, I like him because he anchors in there as good as anybody I've seen. So you're talking about a guy who probably won't make a lot of plays, 
would probably be a two down guy, you know, a rotational guy, but a guy who can anchor in there and not get moved and learn from a great guy like Donaldson. So I'm going to cheat a little bit. I think he might be gone, but I'm going to go Keanu Benton. Tim, what would it take for the Browns to, to land Benton? Where, where would they have to get to in the draft? I think they would have to get into the 60s. So that's probably 74 and maybe either I would, I would guess maybe 112 could be in play. Maybe you can get away with 126 if you throw in 190 or the seventh <laughs> round pick, which I know every Browns Browns reporter in Bria is probably, you know, silently rooting for them. Trade the seventh round pick. Please trade the seventh round pick. Um, and I admit I kind of played around with them on PFF, I think, uh, yesterday where I was kind of trying to see in my mind, you know, where would be the ideal trade-off spot if you're if they're going to trade up 60s again for Mingo, Benton, uh, Marvin Mims, possibly maybe even Jack Campbell if he slips there. There's a lot of candidates we're turning up for. Um, but if you're going to get Benton, I, I'd be surprised if he lasts out of the second round. I think he's just got such fun potential. You know, Lance obviously raves a lot about Benton. I think he's, you know, starting to really generate a look. It seems like there's a lot of there's a lot to like about Ben's game and he could be a real good fit, you know, next to Dalvin Tomlinson potentially. Two, two things. If all I had to do was move into the sixties to get Benton, I would do it in a heartbeat. And another thing is Lance's eyes got real wide, Tim. When, when you said Jack Campbell potentially in, in that range as well. I mean, Lance, I know, I know he's a guy that you've liked for a while. We talk about like guys we like, and we talked about this three weeks ago in terms of who do you like, who is your crush, who's the guy that, you know, and for me it's been some of these linebackers, but Jack Campbell to me, after the combine, he's a guy that I was like, you know, I don't care about his numbers because I assumed his numbers at the combine and his size and his lateral movement, his short area burst, all that stuff they're testing for. I, I assumed it was going to be average, but as a coach, sometimes there's an outlier. And sometimes there's an outlier, a guy who just understands football, but then he goes out and tests the way he does. And he was immediately my favorite. He's immediately my favorite on all. Just because he's – now, if you can go back um, and, and however you get back, you know, move up, he is – I think he's a incredible football player, one of my, my favorite breakdown of the year for sure. Tim, that's a lot of range for Jack Campbell. I mean, I've – I mean, I read somewhere that some people think he could end up at the end of the first round if somebody really wants a linebacker. And is that – is he really like that sort of fluid that it could be – he goes Thursday night or he's still there, you know, middle of the night Friday. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I th- linebacker is a weird position in his draft. It's not one of the strongest positions, you know, up until like last week, I was pretty much guaranteed, assured in my own opinion that Drew Sanders from Arkansas is going to be the top linebacker to go six, five, Micah Parsons type of game, not maybe not quite the talent, but the type similar type of game, you know, played at Alabama for two seasons, transferred to Arkansas and had a breakout season in 2022. But Campbell is such an interesting case study in terms of talent versus positional value. I mean, talent wise, he's one of the most, I argue is one of the more talented players, you know, outside of the top 20 in this entire draft, the athleticism is there. He's got the ideal frame to step into an NFL game right now and contribute at a pretty high level, maybe, you know, sneak into a pro bowl within two to three seasons, I think. But it's going to come down to how much a team is willing to value a middle linebacker these days, because Everything in the NFL right now, by and large, is geared towards the pass. And what and when you go, you know, to load up defensively against the pass, what are you taking out the field? You're taking out those linebackers. And historically, you're taking out those middle linebackers. I know Jack Campbell is not the type of middle linebacker you would take out in that situation because he's so good at covering basically any doing anything. He's a true three down linebacker. 
So in a sense, he's a mold breaker that way. So it's a question of, do you believe, are you that hung up on positional value that, you know, edges are more important, corners are more important right now than middle linebackers? Is that going to be the hang up or is the team going to be willing to bank on the talent? And I mean, I think if you're the Browns, you're kind of hoping in some ways it's kind of column A, it's positional value, because that's how Jeremiah Usukormo dropped the 52 two years ago, and Andrew Burry was able to move up and get him. Okay, uh, next question here. We're going to look at what maybe could have been with the Browns. So I went back last year and, and looked at that number 13 pick that they gave up as part of the Sean Watson trade. And, <laughs> you know, one of the things Browns fans were really focused on in that draft was wide receiver. And for the Browns, it actually worked out pretty well because none of the receivers that were like, you know, Drake London was gone, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jamison Williams. There's this run on receivers right before 13. Uh, so the Browns didn't actually miss out on any of those players. But here's the players that did go uh, with that pick and then the next five players. So Philadelphia took Jordan Davis, number fifth. Uh, they moved up. They traded up with the Texans and they took Jordan Davis. Um which I guess ironically is a guy the Browns certainly could have used last year. Um, after that, Kyle Hamilton uh, was a pick for Baltimore. Pretty good safety. Uh, then you had, yeah, there were a couple guards in there. This is not in complete order, but Kenyon Green went to Houston at 15. Zion Johnson uh, went to the Chargers. And then there were two receivers, Jahan Dotson at number 16 to Washington and Traylon Burks at number 18 to Tennessee. So, I guess the bigger point is there's, you know, Jordan Davis, good player. Kyle Hamilton, I think, is going to be a good player. I'm intrigued by those receivers. But if Deshaun Watson's a franchise quarterback, you're okay with not having those players. Still, it's fun to talk about. So, Tim, if the Browns are picking at number 12, who's the player you would wish that they could target? Well, I'm kind of looking at my composite board, small plug, this went up Wednesday morning, you know, top 150 prospects ranked across multiple. So I'm looking to kind of see who would be kind of in that area. I'll give an offensive and defensive player offense, uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio State. I know he seems like he's going back up a little bit as we get closer to the draft. As fluid receivers you're going to find, I think you'd be an amazing slot receiver in the NFL. We talked about, you know, last week about his game, just how fluid he is, how agile he is. His ball skills, I think, are tremendous. And then defensively, I think I would be going for an edge rusher and I'd be looking possibly Nolan Smith from Georgia. I mean, this is a guy whose stock just skyrocketed since the combine when he ran a 4-3-9-40. Again, I, I, I'd say take 40s with a grain of salt a lot because typically if you're, if you're a defensive lineman, you run 40 yards, something either very, very good or very, very bad happened. But I think Nolan Smith is a guy who, even though he's a little undersized, would be a good fit in this Y9 type of scheme that Jim Schwartz historically has because it's about speed and bend. If you have at least one of those things, you can be a real problem. And I think Nolan Smith certainly has the ability to be a real problem off the edge, especially, you know, as a run defender, which he may be a smaller guy. But if you can have an edge guy who's who's not only good at stopping the pass, but can play well against the run, there's a lot of good things to go out of that. Yeah, Lance, who's the guy that you're thinking like, look, I know none of it matters if you don't have a franchise quarterback, but if the Browns are picking 12th, this is the guy that that I would want. Well, this is really interesting to me because I have not done a lot of film study on these top guys, which has been awesome for me. You know, in terms of you get and they're real it's really easy to find that film. It's really easy to get the game film. It's really easy uh through a little bit of uh, you know, work. You can find all twenty two and you can find it on those top guys. Um so it was kind of fun to look at those top guys and a guy that I like um, I've heard him go as top, you know, 
top 10 to top 15, uh, Wilson kid out of uh, Texas Tech, the DN. He is absolutely fantastic. He would be my defensive guy. Uh, the reason why, again, kind of what Tim is saying with uh, other guys is that his flexibility, he can play both down inside. He's 270, 275. He's got almost 36-inch arms. He, that means he can get his hands on those offensive linemen. He's at, you move him down inside, he's a complete mismatch for guards. Uh, he can play outside. He can play in space. Uh, and then offensively, a, a guy that I like would be Jordan Addison, and I talked about him last week. I like just the uh, – that's really simple. It's not a huge breakdown. It's just simple, easy yards. He's sudden. He's twitchy. Uh, he fights for the ball a lot better than you would think at a guy 5'11", so he's really good at the catch point. Uh, he high points the ball pretty well. Uh, he's pretty good in the red zone. Again, he's an easy yards guy. He'll be good with scrambles. He would be great with Watson and all the the, the uh, RPO game and then these quick screens and, uh, you know, all the stuff that you can do with a, a quarterback who is multifaceted. I think Addison fits that bill. Uh, he's really, really good. And, the, and my thing on him is that the film from Pittsburgh, he learned how to run routes. And then with Lincoln Riley out at USC, he learned to play in space and understand coverage. So now he has this elite route running ability from his days at Pittsburgh. And now now with being in USC and, and Lincoln Riley, and I'm, I've watched hours of that film wherever Lincoln Riley's being, him, it's all about not the route, it's about the space and understanding where coverage is and how to get to that space. So now he kind of got the best of both worlds. So those are two guys that if the Browns, if they were available, I would take at 12. Uh, you know, I – it's interesting you bring up Tyree Wilson because you know, we were talking on we were talking before we we came on listening to podcasts while you were running. I was listening to a podcast today while I was running uh, this morning, and Peter Schrager was on uh, the Pardon My Take podcast, and he floated out there that the Texans might really you know Tyree Wilson could be in play even as high as number two. Now I would imagine the Texans would probably prefer to trade down if they wanted to take him, but Tim, how high could a guy like Tyree Wilson go? I think he can go top five. I mean, you know, Lance was talking about, you know, if, if the Browns want to take him, I mean, could you imagine a defensive line with Miles Garrett on one side and Tyree Wilson on the other side, just two physical uh, forces on the other end, which is such power. I mean, I know Jim Schwartz's schemes has historically been about speed and bend, but I mean, just for sheer power, that'd be fascinating. But, you know, Tyree Wilson, I think there's no question, you know, he's, second best edge rusher in this class, you know, a different type of game to Will Anderson's got as good a first step as you're going to find. But to me, I'm still puzzled why we Tyree Wilson over Will Anderson. It's like, did we forget the last three years of, of play from Will Anderson? Did we forget how when Alabama won the championship in 2020, Will Anderson was just this freshman who was absolutely dynamic. Did we forget that, you know, he put up, I think it was like 17 and a half sacks his second season in college football. I think this is a guy for me who up until, you know, a week ago was easily going to be the first non-quarterback off the board. And I think it kind of goes back to something I, I mentioned last week with Marvin Harrison Jr. is we get into draft fatigue mode. You know, when you're, when you don't want to talk about the status quo, you, you want to go for something else instead of, you know, sticking with what you know, sticking with what's proven out there. And I don't, again, I don't know if it's smoke. I don't know if it's real, but if I'm a GM out there, I know Tyree Wilson's really good. I know he's, you know, he's productive. He's got such power, but I cannot ignore Will Anderson having three years of outstanding production in Alabama. I cannot ignore the film he put out there. I cannot ignore any of that and pass him up for Tyree Wilson if both are available. I just could not do it. That's what makes the draft fun, though. Some somebody, <laughs> all it takes is one GM. All it takes is Nick Casario or somebody else to say, you know what, this is the guy I want. 
<clears throat> and I'm going to go ahead and take him. Uh, all right, we're going to – Lance, do you have something to add? Oh, you know, I was going to say, it kind of goes back to our first question. It was uh, when you talk about that ceiling. You know, when you watch, even though Will Anderson has all that stuff too, and he's – that film breakdown is just absurd. When you watch Wilson, he gives you this like – Julius Peppers, this freaky arm length and this stride, and he gives you like the wow factor. So when you talk about like a guy saying, like you're saying, like Casario, somebody, you know, what could this guy's ceiling be? And I don't think Anderson hit his ceiling either. But when you look at these physical athletic traits of Wilson being 6'6 and 270 and running, you know, just over 4'8 in the 40, like those things, like I, I think that's maybe that's the reason. You know, on film, Anderson is just fantastic. And he's, he, I think he's the, as good an edge guy I've seen in a long time. But Wilson, I think, goes back to what we talked about, that ceiling. Do people think his ceiling is just, you know, at the next level? That would be my guess. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we got some questions from our Football Insider subscribers. We're going to get to those. Uh, I'm going to get the draft crushes here. I'm sure there's some names we've already mentioned from these two guys. And then we're going to do our final Browns mock draft of draft season. That's all coming up still on the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Welcome back to the Orange Brown Talk podcast, our NFL draft edition here on a Thursday. It is officially draft day. Uh, let's get to some texter Q&As. These came from our Football Insider subscribers. If you want to get involved, cleveland.com slash Browns. The blue banner at the top of the page. You can become one of our text subscribers. You can get a newsletter delivered to your inbox every single day. And, of course, you can get access to exclusive stories at cleveland.com slash Browns. So, again, Football Insider, cleveland.com slash Browns. The blue banner at the top of the page there. Let's get to some questions here. They, not all of them came with names, but uh, first one, are there any quarterback options in day three? Backup quarterback is still a weakness if this team is thinking about a run deep into the playoffs. Tim, any quarterbacks you like in day three of this draft? Yeah, there's a couple that have stood out to me that I've, I've been looking at, you know, as some interesting options. One kind of earlier in day three and one later in day three. I'll go with the early one first, and that's Jake Hayner of Florida, uh, Fresno State, excuse me. This is a guy who I know I'm going to say, you know, 5'11", 207 pounds. There's going to be some Browns fans on here. They're getting some Baker Mayfield flashbacks. Like, why would you want them to take up Browns? I think another quarterback that's got very little size. And a reason for that is he sees the game so incredibly well. You, everybody talks about that S2 cognition test that suddenly, you know, the buzz out there. Jake Hayner was one of the <clears throat> highest scoring quarterbacks on that entire list. I know Bryce Young was number one. If Hayner wasn't number two, he was really close, according to the reports. Incredibly, incredibly intelligent, very productive for us, let's say, for, for almost 10,000 yards, 68 touchdowns, there's 18 interceptions. Just as, I mean, the issue is he's a smaller guy, which is why it's going to limit his ceiling a little bit, but he's one guy I would look at, and the other is uh, UCLA's Dorian Thompson-Robinson, Guy who it seems like every time you every year you watch UCLA, he just got a little better and a little better. He just kept progressing more and more and more every single season. True dual threat quarterback, you know, his last two seasons rushed for over 600 yards. Last season, I thought he played, he saved his best season for last. I mean, I'm looking at the numbers right now. Almost 70% completions, 3,169 yards, 27 touchdowns, all career highs for 10 interceptions, but probably because he threw almost 100 more passes that season than he did the previous one. I think if you're looking for a quarter, if you're looking for a backup quarterback, DTR to me might be the better fit because if if Deshaun Watson gets injured for for however much amount of time and you want to have a guy who maybe in two years in a year or two could be the backup, why not have a guy who plays a similar type of game 
to Deshaun Watson. Not they, they may not necessarily be the same player by any stretch of the imagination, but DTR is also a dual threat quarterback who can run and can throw. And like I said, he's been continuing to press progress throughout his career. Yeah, Lance, are there quarterbacks who like, and then the, the Dorian Thompson Robinson discussion? I mean, you've, you've been out at training camp. You've watched, uh, you know, you saw a lot of Joshua Dobbs. We saw a lot of him in the preseason, of course. Then he got a couple starts again, uh, with Tennessee uh, at the end of the year. We know Kellen Mond is still in the building. It does feel like this team wants to have quarterbacks who can come in and obviously not perform at the level of Deshaun Watson, but at least do some of the same things Deshaun Watson can do. Well, the kid out of Fresno State, I couldn't agree more, his ability to process information. So if you're going to be able to play early, you're going to have to be able to process a, a lot of information at the NFL level. You're going from, you know, you watch a college coverage. It's funny watching a pro film to a college film, and I go back and forth daily. And just the amount of coverages you're going to see and the amount of different things they give you and their ability to hide coverages. So the kid out of Fresno State is just fantastic. He plays with a lot of, a lot of poise. His feet are very good. Uh, so if he doesn't have an elite arm or any of those things that you might say because of his size, he processes very well. Uh, so he gets the ball out. I think DTR is a perfect match. And as a coach, uh, the reason I like him, Robinson, because he you're going to continue to get rep. Everybody on the team can get the same reps. And what I mean by that, you know, once again, coaching at a high school level, you know, you get what you get in high school. So, you know, my, my guy, if he was a runner, would be a different – offense than my backup guy because he was a passer so that's a lot of different schemes off up front and with your running backs and with your receivers so even though they're not the same caliber everybody else around on the team when you have those same type of dual threat guys they're all getting the same reps so they don't have to change uh even when you watch practice you don't have to change practice plans when you see uh Watson come out and a guy like even Dobbs who's not a great runner but he has good feet they don't have to change a ton but a guy like Robinson now you're talking about a guy you don't have to change anything for. You can do all those RPOs. You can do all the um, the, the run-run options, the run-pass options, the run-run-pass options. You know, there's a lot of different stuff that people talk about. But I think about Robinson would be perfect because you don't have to change everybody else. Everybody else gets to do the same thing. And then all of a sudden, instead of getting, you know, six to eight reps in practice, you're getting 12 to 16 reps in a practice, and you win with reps. The more you do it, the better you get at it. So I would go with Robinson just because he's the skill set, like Tim said, of Watson allows everybody to do the same thing. And this is more of a fun question. I think I kind of want to spin out since we're talking about backup quarterbacks. How much you bet, you know, when we see the draft this this year, you know, when we're watching on Saturday, how many times are we going to talk about who's the next Brock Purdy out of this draft class? You know, I almost want to set that over at about under over under about two and a half times we mentioned Brock Purdy on Saturday. Oh, yeah. Brock Purdy's name is going to get mentioned a ton. I do wonder if that'll have an effect, though, on maybe some of the undrafted. If, like, teams might jump and draft a guy instead of letting these quarterbacks become undrafted free agents and, and try and swipe them up later. If there might be a little more sense of urgency there uh, at the There's end a kid of the draft. We talk about when Tim's talking about the kid from Fresno State, kid out of Shepard pageant. He spins it as well as anybody I've seen. He processes information. You know, everybody will talk about the level he played at and all that kind of stuff. But you watch him throw the ball. He can spin it. So it's. It's interesting what they see and how they and I agree with you guys and, and what people look at there. So it, it'll be very interesting. Okay, a little game here from uh, from one of our texters: running back, defensive tackle, and wide receiver. Those are our three positions. So again, running back, defensive tackle, and wide receiver. You have to draft one at seventy four, take one later in the draft, and lastly address one with a free agent. So which? How are you putting those positions? One at seventy four one later in the draft, and one in free agency. And again, that's running back, defensive tackle, and wide receiver. Tim, what have you got? 
I feel like I almost want to pass, pass this off to Lance because people have been Ooh. listening to me for a few weeks. Probably already know my answer. So I well, want then to get Lance, you go first. first. You lead us off. <laughs> right, I'm gonna go with the back. I'm gonna go A Chain. Can we get him? At, I'm gonna go because I just because I think he's an absolute uh, perfect fit. I was just actually talking with some Cincinnati people about how I like Gibbs over Robinson for their scheme in terms of you know these guys who are good in space, um, catch the ball in the backfield. He's an elite speed guy. Um, so I would take, I, I would take, if I had to, I would take a chain at 74, um, defensive tackle. Um, gosh, what, and what, where would that be? What's the deal with my second? So you take one at 74, you take one late and then you take, you address another in free agency. Um, gosh. Hmm. So I would have to, uh, defensive tackle. Well, I'm going to address defensive tackle in free agency. Uh, just because I think you want guys that can help immediately. And I think young guys, if they're, it's really hard for, I'm trying to look for numbers for that, but it's really hard if you're not drafted in the first round or two as a defensive tackle, not that you can't play. It just seems like you're not quite physically mature. So you're talking grown men. So we'll pick up the defensive tackle in, um, in uh, free agency. And then I'm going to go with the. Uh, the so that would lead, that would leave wide receiver. Right, that would leave wide receiver late. How about the uh, Cropper kid out? Of, is that correct? The, the I really like him in the slot. Tim, you mentioned him last week. Who's the receiver? The uh, where's he from? Um, uh, three name, three name kid. I'm thinking Jalen Moreno Cropper. Yeah, the Cropper kid. I'll take yeah, him he, just because because of the slot. The slot need for the Browns. He's electric. Um, so I would take that would be my pick in the later round. So I'll go H chain at seventy four. Uh, we'll pick up a defensive tackle in free agency, and then we'll go with Cropper in the later rounds just because I think he'll be available and he fits a need, and he's extremely – he's an easy yards guy, which is always my thing for slot receivers. He can he can get easy yards. All right, Tim, what do you have for this one? This is kind of tough because, you know, Lance obviously is a big Devin A-chain guy, and I love his speed. I mean, he's a he's not just – he's not just a track guy. Like I said before, track All-American, but he's a football player who happens to be a track star. So he's good, but I, lo- I love him and his potential fit on this offense to compliment Nick Chubb. But I got to go receiver at 74 again. You hope Marvin Mims falls to you, and if not, you know – or if you have to trade up for him or Jonathan Mingo or somebody, and if not, you know, Tank Dell could be available. Jaden Reed, Parker Washington is a guy Lance has kind of helped talk me into a little bit because of his yards after catchability that he's almost kind of like a, a running back in a receiver's body. And Dan, you talked about what Kareem Hunt did in the slot, and essentially you get semi-replacement, and then you get a similar type of player. So I would go one of those guys at 74. Running back, uh, I mentioned before we went on that there were a couple guys I was watching recently, particularly uh, Pitts, Israel, Abana, Can. Uh, he'd be like a round, like a guy I would look at one twelve explosive. I mean, he's got afterburners, for, afterburners for days. We're talking like one play, some you know, blow through the line, then he finds yet another gear to run away from his safety for about a twenty five yard touchdown. Can catch the ball in the backfield, dynamic speed, and there's a lot to like about his game. Maybe later in the draft, East Carolina's Keaton Mitchell's got 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 a great speed package, similar in size to Deuce Vaughn. Um, even though Mitchell's got a couple more inches on Deuce Vaughn, and similar type of players in the way I would kind of deploy them. And I'm with Lance. Go for a defensive tackle and free agency. Get a, just get a guy who you can plug in that you don't have to worry about developing. You don't have to worry about him growing, having to under, understanding what it takes to play defensive tackle in the NFL. Just get a guy who's been there and done that and kind of fill out that room. Maybe you want to get a guy in, as a UDFA or even later in the draft. That's a good way to go. Just keep continue to keep adding to the room. But I've said before, if you're going to get a defensive tackle, it's going to impact you. you got to sign him. 
Okay. Uh, we had a question about uh, wide receiver at 74. I think we've talked a lot about that. And if you want to hear more about that, go back and find our podcast from last Thursday as well. So we're going to move to this one. Uh, Jeff from Eden Prairie. This is kind of a fun one for you, Tim. Uh, who might be this year's Johnny Manziel? A high draft disaster. Now, Johnny Manziel is in a class of his own. Um, obviously was not ready to be in the NFL on a lot of levels. I don't know if there's going to be a Johnny Manziel equivalent player, but who's a guy that might end up getting taken a little bit too high here and not work out? Um, well, I think the outlier in another one, another one of my 8,000 draft theories, which is most players don't fail by themselves. You know, most players will fail because their coaching lets them down or they don't have the talent to help them or they get drafted into a bad system that doesn't quite in, quite work with what they have. And I mean, in that regard, it's hard to not think of Anthony Richardson because he's a guy who's just he's going to be boom or bust. I don't think there's any middle ground. I don't even like he's either going to be, you know, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen level, or he's going to be kind of a guy who's not in the NFL in a couple of years. I don't think there's a middle ground. I don't think there's a ground where he's, you know, a Baker Mayfield type of player where he can bounce around, start for a bunch of different teams as a spot starter. I mean, I I feel like with quarterbacks, as much as, you know, people talk about, you know, they're the guy, they just have the innate trait. I think part of Habit getting the quarterback, you also have to have a great infrastructure around him. I mean, would Josh Allen be what Josh Allen is without Sean McDermott and Brian Dable? I don't know. Would Patrick Mahomes be Patrick Mahomes without Andy Reid there? I don't know. Would Jalen Hurts, you know, could do what he's done if Nick Sirianni hadn't shown up and really helped hone his game the last couple of years? Possibly. I don't know, but you're, if you're drafting quarterback, you got to find a guy who fits your system your your culture and you got to find a you got to make sure your coach is more than capable of developing him developing the right way ensuring they know whatever is done to develop him you're not putting too much on his plate you have trust in who you're taking because with Anthony Richardson in particular you got to you got to be almost perfect with the development because the athletic tools are obviously there. I've referenced him on our mock draft podcast as kind of a more raw Cam Newton, but he needs a lot of work. He's got to work on his mechanics, his footwork, how he reads the game. There's so much that goes into it. And I honestly would not start him this season unless I absolutely had to. So for me, I know Mary Kay Cabot took him with the second pick in our mock draft. I would not have that conviction because I just because I feel like you so much has to go right to develop a guy like that who's got so much to work on. I'm not saying he can't do it. I absolutely believe any of these guys can do it, depending on if they go to the right situation. It's just a case of sometimes these guys just don't, unfortunately for them, go to the right situation. Well, as, as you know, Tim, I was trying to trade up to number three in the draft as Detroit uh, because I knew Anthony Richardson was going to go early in our draft somehow, some way. <laughs> now he wasn't going to be sitting there at six. But like when you mentioned situations, and it's still a little weird to say this, Detroit is like the perfect situation for him to go to. They have a starting quarterback and Jared Goff. They have weapons, um, you know, Monroe St. Brown. And when Jameson Williams gets, Williams gets back, uh, they have a good offensive line. They have a really good offensive coordinator, a guy that might be a head coach, you know, this time next year. And they're actually kind of suddenly a stable situation. I feel like that's that's where he needs to go, kind of like you laid out, a place where he doesn't have to start and he can learn and just grow and have a veteran in front of him who can kind of show him what it's going to take. I mean, Lance, 
what do you think about quarterbacks and situations and, and kind of what guys need to end up in to be successful? Well, you know, I'm going to go back to Tim Couch, you know, in terms of just getting beat up. And, you know, you never – whether he's going to be good or not, you never you never saw it. And when you're constantly getting hit – and I don't think these guys are gun-shy, but when you're constantly getting hit back there, it makes it really tough. So having the offensive line first and foremost and then having skill players and, um, you know, these are these are large humans. When you talk about guys going to be a bust – a bust doesn't always mean to me. It doesn't always mean like you don't play well. And you know when he, when I think of that, it's this is a very un, unpopular unpopular opinion. But the guy who could struggle with longevity is Bryce Young. And people always say, "What are you talking about?" Well, he's little. And when you're little, I think he'll be a super talent. Is he going to be available? And I've had this discussion today. Somebody asked the same question. You know, do you think he'll be? I think if he's healthy, he's fantastic. But in terms of quarterback, these are such large people hitting you over and over. And he plays a game where he's scrambling, he's going to make plays. And when you do that in the NFL, there are people flying around. And these are big bodies flying around. And even when you play in the SEC, they're not NFL bodies. And these are guys who are running four fives and four sixes and are 300 pounds. And so the idea of, I don't say bust, but a guy who could be very, you know, would scare me to invest millions would be Bryce Young just because he's, he's little. And it's nothing to do with talent because I think if he's healthy, he's fantastic. But if you look at him as a number one pick, I mean, I don't know the draft as well as you do, but quarterback-wise, I've always followed the quarterback. He's an outlier. He's an outlier to be the top quarterback in the draft and be so little. And when you go out there and you see those – when you see when you stand out there in practice and you're five feet from inside run and you're thinking to yourself, how do these guys not get hurt all the time? Because they're, just, they're such huge, huge guys. So – yeah, I think quarterback position, you've got to be in the right, you've got to be in the right place. You've got to have a guy who fits your system. You've got to have protection. Um, you know, the run game, they talk about run game. Run game is also pass protection because it limits what the defensive lineman can do. Yeah, it's got to be the right fit because if you're not in the right fit, it'll, it could go quickly for you and go quickly, go bad quickly, really quick. So my guy would be Bryce Young, not because of talent, just because of size. And Tim, we talked about Bryce Young a lot on the, uh, the mock draft pod we did on Tuesday. Um, and, made some of the points that Lance did, right? I mean, you you mentioned, and you've said this before, if he were 6'2", 220, it would be a no-brainer. But you're gambling on an outlier. Like, if you're taking him number one, you're staking your career. That's a little less dramatic than that now under the new CBA where it's not quite as pricey, but it's still the number one overall pick. So, you know, you don't get that chance very often. You're staking your career to an outlier. And we saw a different player, but we saw what that did to a guy like John Dorsey, who staked his career to a player that needed to be an outlier to be successful. Yeah, and I don't think, you know, you said Bryce Young's an outlier. I think he's an outlier of an outlier because when you think of his size, you're going to, you, what do you instantly think about? You instantly think about Kyler Murray. And these two don't play nearly the same game. I mean, Kyler Murray plays that dual threat game where he's going to, he's going to take hits because he's running in the open field. He's, He's, you know, actively going up the field because he's got incredible speed, so fluent in the open field, and that's what made him so well so makes him so special, especially when healthy. Bryce Young, when he's scrambling, he's not scrambling to run, he's scrambling to throw. I'm looking at his career numbers. Only a hundred six only hundred and thirty-nine career rushing attempts for Bryce Young. That's a low number for a quarterback who who when you think about his scrambling and his mobility, you would think, oh, he's gonna scram he could scramble for five, six, seven yards anytime he wants. No, he's he's scrambling to try and throw the football. Kind of like in a in the same vein that Ben Roethlisberger used to do for so many years. I, again, 
completely different physical types, but as far as, you know, guys who are running to throw and running to create throw lanes, trying to buy some time, there's that's where the similarities kind of are between those two. And, I mean, so many times you watch Alabama, Bryce Young could have open running lanes. He doesn't take them because he's going to throw the football. So, in a sense, that's understanding you have to protect your body a little bit. And, I mean, he didn't miss a lot of time in Alabama. I think he only missed, like, one game just looking at one of his scouting reports. So, relatively healthy, but like you said, I mean, the NFL is just a different game when it comes to physicality, taking hits, taking, you know, late hits that aren't even penalized, you know, that aren't even called roughing the passer penalties in situations like that. I mean, how many times the quarterback got knocked down after a throw, they don't throw that flag. I mean, that's something when it talks to getting quarterbacks getting hit that nobody brings up. Okay, one more question here, and this one comes uh, from Steve from Philadelphia, who's a big fan of Jair Brown out of Penn State, the safety, uh, who won't be there for when the Browns pick. But if the Browns make the picks instead of trading out in the third, well, he he asks if Jair Brown will be there. Um, I don't think he will be. Maybe I'm wrong, Tim. But what safeties could be there if Jair Brown is gone? I don't know. I think Brown can actually be there, you know, in the third round, possibly, you know, with either pick. I think with Jair Brown, you know, we talked about a couple of weeks ago. He's a guy who's very high risk, high reward, but you're looking for what the Browns don't exact, don't quite need more of at safety, you know. I said Grant Delp is more of a strong, uh, Juan Thornhill is more of a free, you know, Jair Brown is more of a free. And what I think is going to hurt him or help him in certain cases, he's a high risk, high reward player. Like, yeah, he's going to make the big plays, but at sometimes he's going to get burned by, you know, trying to be too aggressive. And I said before, you'd rather try to rein a guy in then, you know, teach a, tell a guy, you know, you have to go be more aggressive. You'd rather have to do the first one than the other. But I think Brown certainly with, his production tells you he can be a really good covered safety kind of outside those Andrew Berry age guardrails. But if you're looking for a third safety, you could fill a couple of different roles. I think Brown is a fun option to look at. And, and Lance, when you, when you talk about a guy that might need, you know, might need some work that isn't a finished product like that, even though he is a little bit older, um, that's sort of what Andrew Berry has set up here. He's not going to be one of your starting safeties. You know, if you come out in a three safety set, he would be, but, you have two guys there already. You can bring in a young guy that maybe still needs some polish. You know, and it's at the best. They're going to be. It's going to be. It's a totally different safety system. So when you're talking to one high hat, you're talking about a guy who, um, you know, I like. You know, I think about like Jay Ward out of LSU or uh, the Skinner kid out of Boise State. Those are, you know, those are guys who play free. I think. I think Ward can play down in the box, but this is not the two high hat safety where you're getting a guy that you got two guys on the halves who are covering half the field, they're reading, you know, there's a ton of things that go in with like route recognition when you're in that, that read cover two or palms or cover four. There's a lot of different stuff that goes into it. Now you're a free safety. You're either a free safety playing over the top, uh, you're sideline to sideline, you got to be rangy, or you're Grant Delpit. And I've said a bunch of times, I think Grant Delpit is going to absolutely thrive in this defense because why? Because he's going to be down in the box. And when you're down in the box as a true, you know, they, it, it's funny, but you know, Schwartz love to keep things simple. When you watch the, the Philadelphia defense, it's very high school. It's it's a very well high school. Like, it's not tricky. These guys get lined up, and they play extremely fast. There's not a lot of calls. There's going to be a ton of man coverage. There's going to be a ton of matchups that they're going to try to find. They're going to try to get guys in space uh, that can run. The slot corner, we've heard, you know, Newsom talk. Well, the slot corner in Schwartz's defense is not a lot different besides lining up inside. You're not playing a ton of run. You're not a C-gap guy. So, these safeties are guys who need to play over top. And if they're a guy, I think they can develop. But you, you're talking guys, you know, I think Jair Brown is the one guy in the draft that can give you both. And he can, 
You know, I love the Skinner kid out of Boise State. I like Jay Ward. I like the Quan Martin kid out of Illinois. Uh, I really like Daniel Scott from the Combine. But I think Jair Brown is the one guy who can, you know, be the backup, kind of give you more bang for your buck. He can be the backup uh, at the free. But he's also big enough and physical enough. And, and like Tim said, he he rolls the dice a little bit. And just like what Grant Bel- Delpit does, when you play down in that box, you can roll the dice a little bit more. You're not the last line of defense. You're not going to – you're not showing up because you got beat on a vertical – um, you know, you miss a tackle once in a while, but I think Jair Brown it would be a great fit. I think I have him in my latest mock draft, and I hope he I hope he does make it because I think he's a guy who's a great fit for Schwartz. All right, well, Steve from Philadelphia would be very happy if if that happens. Uh, one last thing here: this is not from a texter, this is from an email, but uh, this comes from our buddy John, who is a listener. He <clears throat> listens on his commutes, and for those of you who listen to this podcast a lot. You hear my dog a lot because people have the audacity to like walk by my house and deliver packages and things like that. So uh, my dog does a lot of barking. And so John, who calls himself the president of the Buster fan club, which is my dog's name, uh, <laughs> says that Buster went bonkers last week when we started talking about Kendra Miller. And he had never barked before or afterwards on that pod. So John is going to keep an eye on Kendra Miller. And if he becomes a star, it's proof that I have a super dog. Now I know my dog. He is certainly not a super dog. He is dumb. But if Kendra Miller becomes a star, maybe he's not as dumb as I think. Maybe he's onto something. We were all big fans of Kendra Miller last week. Yeah, I, I mean, he's got speed. He's got power. He's got tremendous balance. What you said about the dog trying to, to uh, you know, premonition powers kind of reminds me of, the, you know, the World Cup. I think it was like 12 or so years ago. I think it was in Germany where they had the octopus or the squid or whatever they kept picking the correct winner like five or six times in a row something like that i mean i don't know if buster is buster is gonna will uh kendra miller to the browns into existence we'll see what happens friday night but uh i think he he's got a chance to be a very good running back again because he's got you know all those physical tools you're looking for in a potential number one running back we are a very animal friendly podcast. We've got my dog. Sometimes you hear Tim's bird in the background. Mary Kay has a cat every now and again. If you listen real close, you'll hear the cat in the background. That's just animal friendly here on uh, on this podcast. Okay, we're going to take a break and then we are going to do our final Browns only mock draft of these draft pods. Welcome back to the Orange Brown Talk podcast, Dan Lobby with Tim Bielik, Lance Reislin. And this is it, guys, our final rounds only mock draft. We're going to do four rounds. We are going back to the old, reliable pro football focus simulator. We did make some changes, though. Uh, we're going to lean a little more towards PFF's board. We're going to care a little more about positional value. Well, kind of leaving draft for need uh, lower but we did up the randomness a little bit. So this is going to get interesting here in our final mock draft. So I'm going to hit enter draft and we are going to barrel ahead here to the number 74 overall pick for the Cleveland Browns. We're just about there. Here we are. Antonio Johnson just went to the Houston Texans. So here we go. Uh, There are already some names that have not been here. Tim, uh, as, as we kind of go through this list, Kaylee Ringo still available at cornerback. I would imagine Andrew Barry would be intrigued by a cornerback projected to go higher than number 74. I'd imagine he'd be interested in someone like that. Who's a name that stands out to you as I kind of scroll through this list here? Uh, well, you mentioned corner. Travis Hodges Tomlinson from TCU uh, fits the age profile. And it, we were talking about slot corners earlier. Uh, Hodges Tomlinson is the perfect frame for a slot corner. He's smaller. He's tremendous at TCU. One of those 
key guys for TCU that was really, you know, impactful and a big reason why that defense was as good as it was, why the Horned Frogs made it all the way to the national championship. He's interesting. Uh, what other offense we got? I know you mentioned Keely Ringo. I mean, cornerback from the SEC. I mean, there's there's perfect Andrew Berry picks. Uh, Jonathan Mingo's right there. Again, we talked. I'd be stunned if he was at. Set. I'm starting to get the idea. I'd be stunned if he was at 74. <laughs> I think if you're going to get him, you got trade up into the early 60s to get him. And I think you know that'd be smart because Andrew Berry. I don't think he's going to make eight picks this weekend. I think he's going to trade. So I I would assume at the very least he trades out to get a 2024 pick. Ooh, some other good options: Ty J Spears, Tyler Scott, Tank Bigsby. All the T's are there. So I feel like one of these receivers, Lance. I. It feels like a you know we've talked so much about Jonathan Mingo on this podcast. I know Tyler Scott is a is a Browns fan favorite. Um, it just feels like this is a real opportunity, especially looking at the players on the board, to to get a good receiver for this football team at number seventy four. Tim talked about me with Parker Washington. I am he is he has made me kind of crush on Mingo a little bit. I really and he's kind of gone by. Tyler Scott. Tyler Scott was back when we first started this months ago. He was my he was my initial pick uh, in the third round. Um, I just love his suddenness. I love his raw speed. I mean, you're talking about a guy who is a, a, like a four two nine kind of guy, like a four. You know, he's an elite guy, uh, an easy easy yard guy. Um, Kelly, the Ringo kid, that's a guy who can play. I he's a, he's an uber athlete, so he can be a safety as well. He can play safety. He can play corner. So he can do a lot of things. Um, Jordan Battles there. We've talked about we let, we've all liked him before. Uh, Spears. Tim has talked about him a lot. He's a, a, a fantastic runner. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go either Mingo or Scott. I think we go I think we go skill here, and I think we go Mingo or Scott. I love Mingo's frame. Mingo, if you're uh, t- ask me which one. I think they're both fantastic, but Mingo's frame and availability with that frame to play each week, I would go, if we go receiver, I would go Mingo. So, Tim, are you kind of in the same boat that uh, Jonathan Mingo should be the picker over? Let's let's say we just narrow it down to Mingo and Scott. Is Mingo the guy you would take? Yeah, I think so. Uh, Speed with size, I mean, you like. You talk about Tyler Scott obviously being tremendously fast. You know, it shows in his highlights. He's fast. He separates well. Mingo's fast. He separates very well. But he separates really well in his speed at 220 pounds. You already have one dynamic, athletic, bigger receiver in Donovan Peoples-Jones, maybe not as fast as Jonathan Mingo, more of a contested catch guy who can run away from defenses. Jonathan Mingo's a guy who I think once he gets his feet wet in the NFL, once he kind of gets up to speed, I think he will run away from some people in the NFL. He's a guy I think is going to be a better pro player than he was a college player. And his where he could fit on this offense he is a guy he wouldn't have to play right away. Maybe similar to how the Chiefs uh, kind of grew Sky Moore into the offense. I, I don't mean to bring it back around to Sky Moore, but uh similar kind of role where maybe he kind of works in rotationally a little bit behind some vet- behind some veterans. And then you, as he grows a little more, you slowly start to deploy him. I'm not going to say I'm not going to go ahead and say Jonathan Mingo is going to catch a touchdown pass with the Browns in the Super Bowl this year. Don't anybody think I'm saying that? But I think in terms of you know growing a player in the offense and adding something you don't really have, I think Jonathan Mingo is a good fit there. 
Okay, so I think we're uh, I think we're on the same page here. We're going to draft Jonathan Mingo, and we are off to a good start in this draft as we move ahead to pick number ninety eight, the comp pick. Uh, there's Ringo still on the board. Tim, who do who stands out to you? Some some names still left over from the last pick. Who stands out to you as we kind of scroll through this list? Ty J Spears from Tulane. I know people are going to say, well, why are you not taking an edge rusher? Why are you not taking a defensive player here, considering the issues the Browns had on that side of the ball? And the reason is simple. Watch Ty J. Spears play football. He was one of the biggest stars of the Senior Bowl last year. Uh, he, he had an amazing season. His highlight package one of the most fun things you're going to watch. He's a great compliment to Nick Chubb because he's fast, and he finds space and knows exactly what to do with it. He was great against USC in the in the Cotton Bowl. I know USC's defense was not very good. They did not tackle very well. But still, for a group of five running back and a, behind a group of five offensive line, to do that against USC, it's pretty darn special. And I've talked, we've talked before about adding explosiveness to this offense. If you're going to try to keep up with the Chiefs, the Bengals, the Bills, um, you know, you name it in the AFC, it's not just going to be about defense. You need to score points. You need to have guys who, anytime they touch the football, are a threat to do some damage to you. And I think, you know, the Browns don't have a lot of those guys. If, if they come up, Maybe this is the offensive-minded guy in me, but getting two of those guys on day two of the draft—that'd be a pretty—that'd be a pretty—that should make Browns fans pretty happy, I think. Lance, do you like a running back here? Was there another name that, that you spotted that you want to make a case for? Well, actually, before it started, I'm like, I love Nick. I love the uh, Nick Salvadori from ODU, and what it shows me is I can't be in the war room with Tim because as I listen to Tim, I'm like, yeah, Spears is the guy. <laughs> you know, so I was, I was talked off my ledge really quick. I, he's, he's really, really good on film. He's really, really good on film against good people. Um, he's re- I, I, I like him a lot. He was, a, I had him in my, like my top five backs in terms of guys who are good in space, good out of the backfield. Uh, he can run that zone. He can run that gap scheme. Uh, he's a willing pass protector. Uh, he understands scheme. Coach at Tulane does a great job in terms of what they run. Uh, yeah, I'm all about Spears. I really like to tackle, though. I think the the Salvadori kid is going to um, – yeah, Salvadori, I think he's going to be a really, really, really good pro. Um, he's long. He's athletic. Um, he does – he blocks in the second level well. He can play multiple positions. Um, he's kind of like one of those big guys I like in terms of he almost fits that. Like I was, I was once a tight end. And I realize the money's a tackle kind of guy. And those are the tackles <laughs> I really like. Um, you know, those NFL tackles, I, I, there's a high percentage that were that were dying to be tight ends or went to Iowa to be the tight end, and now they're a tackle. So he kind of reminds me of that. But I think what the Browns need, the Browns need to score points. The AFC uh, just got even more explosive, right? So I, I think you got to go Spears here and, and put points on the board. Okay, so I feel like this is a little high for a running back and for a tackle, but I think if I had to choose the two, and I'm I'm speaking about how I think the Browns might look at it. Um, if I had to choose between the two, I think tackle is certainly the less pressing need, and I, I don't know if I see them taking a tackle necessarily on day two of the draft. Now, we might have to revisit this here at number 111, but I think, again, we have consensus. This is... This is what happens when everyone in the in the war room is singing from the same hymnal, as, as we like to say. So here we go. Two picks in round four, starting with number 111. Ringo finally off the board at 109 to the Raiders. Trey Palmer goes 110 to the Falcons. Uh, but I mean, that would be fun. The Falcons just adding more weapons uh, to their receiving core. Of course, as we discussed earlier, it might not matter if you don't have the quarterback, but uh, they'll, they'll figure that out at some point. 
Tim, who do you like here on the board at 111? Yeah, before we, I think with Saldaveri still there, I think there's an interesting question I don't almost want to ask you, Dan. I mean, we don't know. There's obviously the Browns have, I think, till May, May 2nd to get Jedrick Wills on his fifth year option. If we don't know, if that doesn't happen by Friday, would you imagine an early draft pick of a tackle <laughs> than we expect any indication or just kind of maybe they just see it as their version of BPA? I think it would be more their version of best player available. I don't think it would be an indication that they're not going to do it. Um, I, I mean, obviously, I think they, you know, they know what they're going to do already. They just haven't said. I would be a little surprised if they don't pick it up because even if Wills isn't playing to the level that they would like, you know, that a num- you want your number ten overall pick to play to, it's fourteen million dollars, which I know feels like a lot of money, but honestly you can live with that for your starting left tackle and I, you're not going to go cheaper if you go the free agent route or if you were to franchise him next year. So I don't know that we're going to get any sort of indication um, as to whether they pick that up or didn't. Um, if they, who knows, maybe by, by the time people hear this, they've already announced their decision, but I don't think there's any sort of indication there as to what they're thinking. Um, if they took a tackle, especially in the fourth round. Right. And I mean, I didn't mean to take us off that, that path and derail the conversation in any direction. I just, just, no, no, it's a, it's, it's a fair question. And, you know, obviously I, I do think the one thing they did tell us when they extended Jack Conklin was that they don't view James Hudson as a long-term option right now at either tackle position. But um, I, I think that, I think that's one of the cards they've shown us. So I, I think certainly some kind of young tackle is in play at some point in this draft. Yeah, and there's a lot to like about Saldaveri, you know, in this position if you want to go tackle. But I think I think it's time to go for some defense. Uh, so let's see who's out there. KJ uh, Henry was a former five star. Didn't quite have the production I think you would hope for as a five star, which you know is kind of a theme, unfortunately, with Clemson. Riley Moss from Iowa is an intriguing defensive back. There he is. Talk about there he is. I, there's <laughs> Ivan Pace, there uh, is. our guy, Lance's guy, my guy, a little bit. Small. <laughs> Smaller guy again, you know. It's like he's the defensive Bryce Young. If he's three inches taller, there's no way in the world he is available in this spot in the draft. But I think I saw Byron Young, the defensive tackle for Alabama, a little lower on the list. Uh, I think Let's just a couple spots yep, down there he the is. other direction. Uh, we should yeah, also, mention was, Zach, also mention Zach Harrison on the board here still. Yeah, I think uh, – well, there's two Byron Youngs in this draft, which is going to get very confusing. There's the there's a defensive tackle Byron Young who fits in the Andrew Berry age guard, also 22 years old, and then there's Byron Young who's an edge rusher from Tennessee who's 25 years old. So you'd be going the complete opposite. But I think this Byron Young would be you're looking for defensive tackles who play with some power, kind of run stopping defensive tackles. Byron Young fits that mold. Seems like a nice. Uh, boring defensive tackle option uh, probably needs to add a little weight on it. kind of a similar problem that the Browns have had with these defensive tackles they take in the past is they're smaller but I think as Young kind of adds weight it may just make his power game a little better he seems like a guy that you know say they after the draft they go sign out Woods all of a sudden you know you could have a nice defense promising you know young player in Byron Young you let go of the grow in the background learn from another Alabama defensive tackle and Dalvin Tomlinson about you know playing the run defense in the NFL I do like the fit and you know we saw we've seen the commanders build an amazing defensive line basically as an Alabama pipeline it would be a good idea I like Byron Young in the spot is I know we've liked pace but I think if you have good defensive tackle play it makes the linebackers better so that's why I would go young over pace here 
Okay, so Lance, how risky are we feeling? Because I, I think there's three players here that I look at. Uh, Byron Young, one of them. Uh, Zach Harrison, another. And Ivan Pace, another. So there's three players here at 111, and we go on the clock at 126 again. So I don't know if all three of these players make it to 126, <laughs> but who's the one of these three guys that you would be most devastated to miss out on? Ivan Pace. Oh, okay. and, and, but I like what Tim said in terms of the building from the inside out, building those. It's like offensively starting with those guards in the center, getting those DTs. I think the Browns have addressed with Hurst and, and Dom Thomason. I think they've addressed some of those needs. I think linebacker in terms of having a thumper. Uh, I know he's only 5'10", between 5'10 and 6 foot, but it, Ivan Pace is an absolute thumper. He's 235. Uh, again, he's an outlier. I think Tim said it best. He's a guy who, just like Bryce Young, if he's – if he's six, if he's six foot, if he's six one, he's uh, he's in, in argue, you can argue he's the best linebacker in in the country. He, he, I think there's not a better inside linebacker film, uh, and I try to watch, especially linebackers. I try to watch whole games. I don't like to watch just highlight films. The guy is the guy is an absolute game wrecker. Uh, so, but I like you know it's hard to argue. It's hard to argue with building yourself inside out. I don't like taking. Um, you know, the D, the D linemen are tough just because you know you have a, a work in progress. Um, Harrison, I don't know if he bends well enough. And, uh, uh, you know, Tim broke him down really well a couple weeks ago. I don't think he bends well enough right now, but he, he's heavy and, and, and definitely can anchor in there. Um, I would be, I'd be really sad if we lost. But once again, he's an outlier, so he might be around. But I'd, be, I'd hate to lose pace here. I really, Tim- really hate to lose pace. Let's say we're going to plan to try and take both. Who would you hate to lose most of these two players? Um, I think I would kind of. I mean, I think Lance is kind of talking me into pace a little bit because I think with <laughs> with Byron Young, yes, I like him. I actually did look up his his weight two hundred ninety four pounds, so he's close to three hundred pounds. It's not like a lighter defensive tackle. He could probably stand a, add weight, and his birthday's not. He's a, he's twenty two years old, but his birthday is not till November, so he's kind of a young twenty two. So he could add weight. Again, I think, you know, between guys like Jonathan Allen, uh, Deron Payne, Dalvin Tomlinson, you have to love the Alabama to the NFL defensive line pipeline there. Pace is not going to get any bigger. But, again, size is going to be the only issue with Ivan Pace. And I mentioned this, I think it was the first mock draft. Jim Schwartz was talking about um, David Long, the linebacker from the Titans, you know, how important he was to that defense. He was a smaller guy, too, so – I mean, if as long as you have the range and you have the instincts and the playmaking ability to be a linebacker, maybe you can get away with being a little smaller. And the Browns really haven't addressed linebacker outside of, you know, obviously re-signing Anthony Walker to that contract. They really haven't done anything to that position. So I think for me, I was talking about Byron Young, but I think the more I think about it, what you need right now, and I know drafting necessarily for need is, is never a good idea, but I think if, if there's a tie in my mind, it's going to go to what do I need a little more of? And I think right now, you know you have a veteran or a defensive tackle. You know you, you can probably – maybe they can get another before training camp. Um, I don't know what kind of linebacker you can get now in free agency. And Pace is a guy I think who could play pretty quickly and at the very minimum be an impact player on special teams from day one. And, and one of the things you pointed out, um, <clears throat> obviously, you know, discussing need, and this is not a team that generally drafts for need specifically, but Andrew Barry does sometimes leave a spot open 
um, when it comes to the draft. So think left tackle a few years ago, think corner two a few years ago when they took Greg Newsom. So sometimes he'll leave a spot open. And, you know, if you think maybe Anthony Walker and Sione Takitaki, if those guys aren't going to be ready and you want to bring in a guy, this team has shown they aren't afraid of a smaller linebacker. So Lance, you did it again. I think 111 is where you got us last time too. You did it again. You talked us into a player. We're taking Ivan Pace, and we're just going to hope that the other guy we want is still there. Uh, let me go. He's going to be next oh, door. Oh, no. Pete. Guess where he went? Uh, Byron Young goes to the Baltimore Ravens at number twenty at number 124. That stings. Of that all would the feel teams like, to lose him to. That would be such a Ravens pick. I mean, that, oh, that's, yeah. that's the Eric DaCosta blueprint is he, is he goes for those – is he loves taking sliders. <laughs> That's all right, because Ivan Pace is going to make their life miserable two year, two game, <laughs> two weeks every year as well. So whatever he can have, he can have Byron Young. Uh, we're moving on. Final pick here in our Browns only mock draft. Our tackle Salivari still on the board. Um, Tim, anybody else you see here that you like? There's Zach Harrison still on the yeah, board. We talked about him. Uh, who else do you like? Um, I think the way. I know we just took a running back, but Israel Vanacandas <laughs> right there. Jair Brown still oh, there. Oh, I uh, yeah, Jair Brown here would be a great fit. I know we, I know the Browns in this mock haven't addressed edge rusher, and I know we came, we talked about you know how it's number one need, number one a need. Um, but I think here at this point of the draft, I would not try to reach for a guy. I mean, I think the best available in a, in a similar grouping. I like Brown again, just, you know, as a guy who can have an impact as a third safety, if Jim Schwartz wants to implement three safeties out there, you know, they don't really have a proven third safety out there. And you mentioned Lance obviously talked about Jair Brown having hybrid, you know, abilities, you know, he can play the free, he can play the strong, and he can kind of fill the gap that is left behind whatever is asked of him of being that third safety in certain situations. That's why I would go for him. I know Yaya Diaby's on the board. Um, I just I keep thinking in my mind that if you if you the Browns could use more impact in that coverage in that safety position, especially because we don't know you know what Grant Delpit's future with the team is going to be after the season. So Jair Brown it could all, also in the case essentially be like you're drafting potentially a starter for 2024 in case they decide to not bring back Grant Delpit. I mean, Lance, sometimes the draft just falls your way. And maybe we just need to call up our buddy Steve in Philadelphia from earlier and say, come on up, announce the pick. We're, we're getting your guy, Jair Brown. Well, there's two things that stand out. One is I took – you guys let me take Coons over Brown three weeks ago. So <laughs> I'm definitely leaning Brown here. But the reason I like him is this, is that, again, he's – and this is what Tim said three weeks ago that I really liked, is that you could – even though I like Coons and he has this uber – fantastic athletic ability and you know it's hard to pass with the guys brown's a guy who could be a starter and he could be a starter quick so you're talking about a guy who's in the fourth round that could be a starter really quick and he's a guy who's going to play a lot because he can play both positions he is an absolute playmaker so i he's a guy who's going to play a lot uh whether he's at the free or whether he's uh um whether he's at the strong safety he's a guy that would come in and he would probably be the backup or in that mix right now so you know injuries happen things happen so uh, this one, this one is an absolute no-brainer, in, in my opinion. Okay, we're doing it. Uh, Jair Brown is the pick for the Cleveland Browns to wrap up the draft, and so we'll recap it here real quick. And then I got one more question for you guys uh, before we uh, call it a pod. Jonathan Mingo, number seventy-four, 
Ty J Spears, number 98. Ivan Pace, number 111. Jair Brown, number one. Wow, Lance, they gave you a D plus for Ivan Pace. <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, Jair Brown, number one, number 126. It, do you notice how I said that Lance, they gave Lance was, a D plus for was, that? They, it was we. Not, not the rest it, was of we it was we to one, pick 111. It was we. BFF's got a bug in the war room right now. They've got one of those uh, little bugs in the war room listening to us. Because look at the, it's only a two spot reach. Mingo was a nine spot reach, and that got a B. So I don't know. Yeah, tell who strange. Right. Uh, that's, that's funny. It's it's. Uh, all right, I'm living with it. He'll he'll be he'll be locker mates with Koontz, and, and there's going to be big things out of both of them. I'm telling you. <laughs> All right, we're we're going to wrap it up there. But I do have one more question for you guys. I prepped you for this a couple weeks ago. We are going to end it with this question, Tim. Who's your draft crush? It's Marvin Mims. Uh, we talked. I talked glowingly about him last week. How I was thinking in my mind, there's no way he should be available at 74. I mean, now as we're getting closer, it's starting to kind of get a paranoia in my mind that, you know, he's going to go earlier than we think. You know, if the Browns want to get him, they would have to go into the 60s to do it, which I still would do it because he's he's a missing piece, especially, you know, even after getting Elijah Moore, he's still that can be that missing piece because you need – I feel like you need more than one speed guy in this receiving core. And I think Mims is that big play – big play machine you know inside outside can do it on deep balls can do it on short receptions screen passes he's a guy you just get the ball in his hands and let him do his thing and you know he put up some very good numbers last season even when Oklahoma's offense took a step back they went from Caleb Williams to Dylan Gabriel who was a transfer from I believe UCF and obviously you know Oklahoma had a coaching change they went from Lincoln Riley to Brett Venables they took a step back as a program but Mims still Mims had an even better season so I think there's there's still room for Mims to grow and I think you know I saw a comparison out there where someone compared him to Tyrell Lockett I mean you throw Tyrell Lockett in this offense it's an element that again I know they got Elijah Moore but adding more speed you can never have enough speed. And like I said, in the AC, you might have to start outscoring people because going against these great quarterbacks, you might not be able to stop them. So you better be able to keep up with them. Lance, uh, you're sitting there, you're in junior high. There's a player in this draft. you write a little note. Do you like me? Check yes, check no. Which player are you giving that to? I'm at, well, I'm going to go back. It's funny. I was going to say, I was going to say Koontz just because I don't know why he's stuck with me, but my guy without question is, is Campbell, Jack Campbell. I have, uh, when it, I was, he was my favorite after the combine, and I went back and watched that film that night. I was absolutely stunned. Uh, the production, the ability to run sideline to sideline, the ability to cover in space, the short area quickness, the burst, the size, um, all that stuff. And uh, again, I liked him thinking he was going to be kind of a, a heavy footed clogger, a uh, good football player, kind of an outlier without numbers. Um, you're going to say he's going to run a four seven. And then I was going to say, that's okay. It's football. You know, like it's, he's football fast. And, you know, there's, he just fit, he checks all the boxes uh, in terms of measurables. But for me on film with those measurables, Jack Campbell is the apps, my absolute favorite. It was my absolute favorite breakdown uh, this off season leading up to the draft without question. Mine is kind of dumb because it's uh, who it is, but I, I just want Bryce Young to be good. I don't know why I just there's something about Bryce Young. I just want that guy to get to the NFL and be really good because every time I've watched him play, I just there's something I love about the way he throws the football and just how, how much we talked about him being an outlier. So I know that that's not really quite the definition of draft crush, like the guy who's going to go number one overall in the draft. But I just want Bryce Young to be good. 
that would just that would just make me happy. I don't know why. I'm not really even a big Alabama guy, but uh, I just love watching the guy play. Some about his poise. It's really easy. He's really easy to watch and really easy to like. And there's something about it. Yeah, there's a not there's a lot of non football stuff to really like about him when you watch for sure. I was going to say, comeback wins at Auburn, you know, 2021, comeback win at Texas last season, rockets environments, and he, he led his team back to win those games, and there's a lot to be said about that. And, again, like I said, if size, if the, if the he wasn't that size, you know, he'd be talking about, you know, easy number one pick. Okay, there we go. Uh, these were fun. I'm glad we were able to do these all month here on the Orange Brown Talk podcast, our final draft pod of the uh, of the process here. If you've got time, go back and listen to some of the other ones. If you missed them, like I said, we talked D-line, we talked receiver. We really dug deep into the draft on these, so check those out before the Browns go on the clock on Friday night. And also go back and check out our full first-round mock if you have time today here on Thursday uh, to kind of see who we think will go and where there were eight of us on that podcast. It was a lot of fun. Uh, it's worth the hour and a half, two hours, however long it was. It's worth that time. If you've got it here today, waiting for the draft to get started, uh, make sure you subscribe to the orange Brown talk podcast on Apple podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen. And as I told you earlier, become a football insider subscriber, cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page, Tim and Lance. I appreciate you guys taking the time every week to do this. We will talk to everyone later.